sports photography, you're capturing a moment that looks really cool that will be on somebody's little player card or be in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. With elopement photography, what I'm doing is telling a story. So I tell people always in the, their intro emails when I do a consultation, yeah, sure, we're going to get some shots that you're going to hang on your wall and you're going to print them up three feet by two feet and it's going to be gorgeous. But my ultimate goal is for you to look through your album and relive your day. Right. And so for me, that means, yeah, I'm paying attention to the couple and photographing them, but I'm also really making sure like those winter berries that were passing, I've got those, or, you know, you, you saw that witch's butter that we passed on the trail. You didn't know what that was, but I knew what witch's butter is because it's my favorite fungi ever. <laughs> and then I get to tell you about it and then my photograph is going to be in your album. So, so I would say like outdoor chronicles, that's where it comes from, right? Chronicles is telling that story. We happen to be outdoors because me and you and the people I'm photographing, we feel best outside. The bushwhacks were some of uh, the worst days I've ever had in the mountains, or light, really. But I also, I think I wore khakis because they had a lot of pockets, I think so. Why the Catskills is such a great place for trout. It was really the development of New York State. Catskills were responsible. Now you're listening to Inside the Line, the Catskills. So I just posted something on Instagram and I got people doing that uh, DM on this or send me on this thing crap. Do you get that at all? All the time. Yes. Sick. I'm I'm sick and tired of it. It's just like promote it on this. Ah, So annoying. Everything's trying to get monetized currently. And I think it's, um, you know, we're past the age of influencers, but there's still an attempt to monetize everything, which just takes away the authenticity of, of what things like you and I are doing personally. I agree. And it's just, it's just so annoying when I see that. And then I, I, I kind of want to do something really bad and see what they will do and be like, uh, get them kicked off somehow. I don't know. I got to I got to think about that but I can't help. <laughs> I don't know the Instagram strategy. <laughs> Neither do I. I got to figure that out. I just I just know that posted people like memes, so I I post memes a lot. Yep, that's true. And they're hiking memes, so they're adjacent to the the show, so. So how you doing, Molly? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? Good. How's the what's the weather like up towards you? Where where it you live? Is, where do you live? I live uh Outside of Albany, I, I like to say I live right smack dab in the middle of the Catskills and the Adirondacks, um, about 45 minutes from Albany or so. Um, nice. And uh, and it's snowing. It's sideways right now, but it's definitely a wet, slushy snow. But they say eight to 10 inches. So really, something wow. here. that's incredible because like here, you know, I've already got like at least one, maybe one and a half inches. But I heard like three to four inches and and some maybe some some bad ice, but I haven't heard eight to ten. Wow, you guys are getting I know. It's a bizarre line because I was looking at where I wanted to maybe head tomorrow afternoon and I was like, do I want to break trail or do I want mud? <laughs> do I go up? Do I go down? 
Right, right. You do not want mud. I'd rather ah, with this with this breaking trail would be killer. It would be killer, but it would be beautiful. <laughs> so it, it would be because everything's if everything's heavy, then everything's sleeting down, and it's just it's that passion, that that beautiful hiking winter time. Exactly, which is my favorite time to hike, and we haven't really had a good winter, so I'm excited to go out in the snow tomorrow. It's been such an odd winter, very odd. I don't know. Um, so you know what? what's cool that I heard about? You know, we have elementary schools and high schools and stuff. But have you ever heard of like a backpacking hiking school? I have not. I'm very intrigued. Yes. So there's a place called Trailbound Project down in, in New Jersey. And uh, I know the guys that run it. It's Joe and Scott. There's Joe Galvin and Scott Finneran. They are both New Jersey search and rescue uh, volunteers. And Okay. Their resumes are huge. I've I've hung out with them. I've met them before. And they run a, a hiking backpacking school that teaches you like wilderness first aid, compass, shelter building. It's absolutely fantastic. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put them in the show notes. Uh it's just really cool. You got I gotta admit. I think that sounds amazing. I mean, like that's that's the those are the skills that I think will empower so many people, whatever age you are, to uh <laughs> to get out there but there's something just so nice about knowing you're safe right when you're when you're heading out and getting those skills early on that's awesome that's super super cool yeah and i i think it's really neat because you know to be the person who could lead the pack when something goes wrong is it's really is really essential to hiking and to being out in the middle of nowhere you know something goes wrong and you're the one that's just like okay i can handle this sweet instead of everybody panicking and running around and you know, I don't have this. I don't have that. You know, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to keep them warm when you're prepared for that? It's just, it's, it's, it's essential here. It is essential. And essentially with, and especially with so many more hikers these days, I saw, I saw a stat the other day that in the Catskills, the number of people on the trails has more than tripled since 2017. I think it was. Um, So it's not just the pandemic hikes, right? It's just overall, more people getting out. And so, so I agree having that preparedness and I have a feeling this will come up a couple times today. Yes, it will. We got some good stories from you. I can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, that, I mean, that also, you know, I, the, the percentage wise, so you say I did a, a podcast earlier with some of my friends who were with me in the 3500 club when I was on the board and I remember seeing stats and uh, I forgot what, what years it was. I think it was like 2015 to 2020. There was a 500% increase. Woof. Woof. Yeah. Yeah. And I, wa- I want to know some other places, you know, like uh, I know they keep book at Overlook. And yeah. I remember Charlie, he's he's one of the greatest volunteers I've ever met in my life. He's just the most humble guy. He's taught me a lot when I was on the board, but he said that they get, the thousands of people on the weekends on good weekends in the overlook. I believe it. And this is where I think it's so important for people like you and me and everybody who listens to this podcast to do what we can to help the volunteers and help the DEC to keep those trails in good condition. I, I do some trail maintenance work. I think you also do some, but just uh, every time I'm out, I see, you know, I see trash, you know, and when we are in those, popular places like just doing a bit pick up that water bottle that that somebody threw out I know it's gross pick up the dog uh, the dog poop bag that somebody 
like decided to just leave on the side of the trail because when there are thousands of people, it's so easy to think that somebody's going to clean it up and likely they're not going to. So this is my plea to say, hey, guys, let's all band together and keep these places awfully nice and protect our critters. Oh, yeah. Wow. That was that is perfect. You know, one speaking of that, picking up, picking up trash, you know, you carry like one or two like uh, not even garbage bags, just regular plastic bags with you. You can put that stuff into it. And then you can hook it to the outside of your pack. So it's not touching anything in your pack. That's what I used to do, especially when I did Panther Mountain a, a decent amount of time. I mean, we all know Panther Mountain is one of the most popular spots. I would just pick up the stuff and have my hook it right to one of my, my hooks in the back. So it never touched anything but the outside of my pack. I so. do the same exact thing. I also bring a couple of doggy bags because if it's something you don't want to touch, a doggy bag is a perfect cheap little you can use it as a glove pick it up so correct wow damn talk about influencers here jesus molly That's influence good. trail trail loveliness yes agreed agreed keep the trails beautiful and pristine and like they were when they were first i can't say first started out because there weren't any trails so <laughs> yeah so are you uh involved with the 46ers at all before I ask this next question? Um, I follow along. I am not an official 46er, but I know a lot of what's going on, you know, in the groups and have a lot of friends who are official 46ers, you know, part of the nonprofit as well as, of course, the hikers. So did you hear about that uh, That crazy stuff they asked the uh, the Facebook pages to do where they either like change your name or shut down? Yeah, the 46ers is a trademarked uh, title. So because the Facebook groups are not uh, led by, sponsored by the official nonprofit, the 46ers, they did ask them to take away that that title, which I thought was unfortunate, to be honest, but, you know, is what it is. Yeah, that that page, I, I, you know, I've done two of the forty six. You know, I, I, it takes a long time for me to drive up there, so time is of the essence. But I found that page very, very helpful. Uh, it was called what the Adirondack Forty Sixers page or something like that. Yep. And the people, the the monitoring stuff like that was was nothing but amazingly helpful. Like some of the stuff I I learned from just the Facebook page is was absolutely fantastic and very helpful uh for my yeah. future endeavors in the 46. Yeah, I think there's um I think there's so many good Facebook pages. My favorite personally is the um Adirondack Backcountry Hikers the Trail Conditions one because they have a strict rule about you know, no hate speech and no kind of just posting for the sake. It's very strictly trail conditions. Um, but there are so many good ones. There's the, I think the 46ers Facebook group, what was the 46ers is now aspiring high peaks group. Yeah, yeah, so they like can that. still give that advice. Personally, I think, I think these Facebook great, uh, groups are great places for learning. Um, so many hikers don't know where to start. I do wish people were kinder because everybody was a beginner at some point. And I do see a lot of people who there's some gatekeeping. There's some, well, if you don't know this, you shouldn't head out. And I, I say always, hey, if you don't have a safe place to ask, how are you ever going to learn? So um, I'm I'm glad that groups exist. It's I think with the legal action, it is what it is. But 
we colloquially call the high peaks the 46 anyway. So I don't think anybody's ever going to stop calling them the 46, you know, somebody suggested, uh, God, what was it? Cause there's, there's only 45, 46, right? One of them is, is below 4,600 feet. It's like ether or something like that. Yeah. Esther, I think. Esther, yeah. That's see, I've, I've been up there once, like three times in my life. And I know that from that 46 er page. So these, these, Facebook groups and and other things like that are very very helpful. Like you said, they they can teach you a lot in very short amount of time from experienced hikers who just love to post trail conditions and of their day up there. And and the Adirondacks are a way different animal than the, the Catskills, so they do need as much info as they can get. I agree. I agree. And I I spend oh gosh, I would say sixty percent of my time in the Adirondacks, forty percent in the Catskills, and they are definitely a different beast. And the weather is different up there. Oh, yeah. So. Oh yeah. A lot different than the Catskills. The Catskills have such lovely tree coverage, you know. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> you don't get above tree line in the Catskills, so you don't get a massive sunburn. Exactly. Unless you're hiking in the winter, like what we like to do. Yep. Yeah, which my preferred time to hike. I if I will take the winter over the summer any day. Is that because of less people? Uh, Partially less people. It's just I love the snow. I love the snow. I love the winter. I hate sweating. I'm a big I I, if you're out with me hiking in the summer, I am pouring sweat. So um, I still sweat in the wintertime, but I know how to handle it better. Yeah, yeah. Right. Good point. Good point. You and my wife uh, would be very good friends because she's the same way. Yeah. I don't I don't think she likes hiking in the winter, but she does sweating as one of she hates sweating. And yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the other thing is the winter hiking. To me, it's easier, especially in places like the Adirondacks and the White Mountains, which have so much like so many boulders to to walk over and step over when you add that snow it's just you get a nice smooth uphill Mm -hmm. less tripping sure you're gonna like fling some snow from your uh snowshoes on your butt but like whatever you know yeah and that's what i told my wife is is like i'm like you got to get out here when there's three four feet of snow and they're covering up everything and it's basically just a snow highway up to the top and it's absolutely stunning and you'll be like wow Maybe I should hike more in the winter, but we'll see. We'll see. You'll you'll get her. You will. <laughs> I will. I will. I gotta take her up like uh, like somewhere up in the Sierra Nevadas or something. <laughs> oh no. man, that would be that would be a dream. That's awesome. We we do. I do have a plan for that. There's a there's a place I plan to uh, go to uh, up there. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called Bear Paw High Sierra Camp. You ever heard of it? I haven't. No. So this place is over towards Sequoia National Park. Okay. And it's, I think it's like an 11 mile hike up 3000 feet of elevation gain, but you hike to one of these places that uh, has like those, it's like, it's like the tent. How do you say tenter? Tent RR. Oh, yep. I know what you're talking about. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's like that, but it's run by the state of California and, and they serve you food. They have alcohol. They have a bunch of different things you have to pay to, to get up there. You know, it's like, it's, it's pretty hefty fee. It's like $300 a night. You can only stay 300, three nights. Woof. Okay. But I bet but, it's beautiful and just like such a treat and three, 3,000 miles over uh, 
the course of 11 miles, depending on what that looks like. And in regards to the topo, that's not bad. Yeah. That's what I said. And I was just like, you know, it'll, it'll be worth it. You're sitting right on the continental divide. So of this, so one time, one time, maybe I'll get her to do that. Maybe not. I mean, is this where I can say, I, I grew up in the Austrian Alps, fly over there for like 800 bucks and we've got those huts and they're a lot cheaper and you also get beer and food and it's less than $300 a night. Just saying, just putting so it out there. Where is this? In the Austrian Alps, we have a whole hut to hut system, and but it's the same thing. You hike up and you have your meal. And I mean, there's this one that I just love where my parents live and it's this guy who used to be a Sherpa in Nepal and he's been the chef at this hut in the mountains for 13 years, I think. And it's actually like, I want to say fancy food because like (laughs) the word is lacking right now, but it's like accessible fancy, but they he's won awards and it's all just at this hut that you have to hike to. Unbelievable. You are sharing rooms with other people. So there isn't really privacy, but, um, but the food's good, the hiking's good, the views are good, the beer's good. All right. I am going to type this in and look this up because that is awesome. I've always looked to to go to the Austrian Alps or even the Swiss Alps and stuff like that. Oh, man. Yeah, I'll send you all this information, too. Please do, because, I mean, that would be fantastic. All right. That was a good chat. So welcome, everyone, to episode 66 of Inside the Line, the Catskills. I have my... Friend and sponsor here, uh, Molly from Outdoor Chronicles Photography. Welcome to the show, Molly. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited. I have, uh, you know, been following you for quite some time. And the photos you get, I seriously am blown away. I've never seen photos that almost like make me cry because of how beautiful they are. <laughs> oh, like, that's that's a huge compliment. Thank you. Like seriously, some of these photos, I'm, I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. How did she capture this? You know, being, I used to be like an amateur photographer, and I couldn't even imagine how how you do this, or even how you get to to where you guys are. I can't wait to hear the stories of how that that happens, how these people carry up their goddamn bridal dresses and suits and stuff like that, and they still look like they just came out of the the reception hall <laughs> well i will tell you all about it well excellent i can't wait so once again uh thank you to the monthly supporters darren white vicky ferrera john kaniski jim c michael bongner david mead matt smith and sharon klein thank you very much for donating monthly to the show i really appreciate it uh big thank you to outdoor chronicles photography i think um i believe it's molly from outdoor chronicles photography i don't know i don't know her it name. might be i heard maybe <laughs> okay. Yeah, she she does awesome stuff in venture elopement, eventual coupled photography. We'll t- be talking about that tonight. Um, she's all over the place. Catskills, Adirondack, White Mountains, beautiful stuff. Uh, bring up your pets too, as well. I think you know. I wish Molly, my dogs, could go up somewhere, but you know they're number one too lazy and too fat to get up somewhere. So I'd have you take some some photos of that. Well, you know, we all start somewhere, but I get it. I've got three dogs. One of them doesn't hike with me anymore, but. You know, I got it. That's two of them that hike with you, so. Yeah. <laughs> Bring the pets always. All all pets welcome. Yes, definitely. And she is also, Molly here is also uh, a licensed guide and officiant for getting married. So she does all of the above. So 
I will have her links in the show notes definitely tonight. I can't. Well, just tonight will be Monday night. <laughs> but yeah, well, thank you, Molly, once again for supporting the show. I really appreciate it. It is my pleasure. I believe in everything you do. So so it's easy. It's easy to give to. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Also, if you're looking to get camping or hiking backpacking gear, go to Camp Catskill in Tannersville. Awesome place. Has all the essentials that you need for hiking and backpacking right in the heart of the Catskills in a very beautiful town. Tannersville is such a beautiful town. So if you need anything, uh, spikes, crampons, snowshoes, shirts, they have memorabilia for the Catskills. Stop at Camp Catskill in Tannersville. Um, Jack Walker, thank you very much for donating three coffees. Uh, he said, dig the show, very informative. Love the guest stories. I love hearing these guest stories, so you're not the only one. So I appreciate it. Molly, I think I saw you having a coffee mug. Are you having coffee this late? No, I'm having, I'm a multi, multi-beverage person here. So I've got my lemon ginger tea and then I've got a golden ale. Oh, wow. That's a first. Excellent. <laughs> I got a simple uh, rum and coke like always because I was flying around today, just once again, getting stuff. Um, I just made the podcast an LLC, so I had to go and do 18 different things for that. Well, congratulations. Then I assume that you will be soon publishing your announcement in the local papers and doing that whole process of the LLC. Of the good, great old New York State making us do that for some reason. I know for six whole weeks. What can't we just tell our friends and put it on Facebook? It'd be so much easier. Yeah, I seriously was just like my 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 friend did it as well. He's uh, up in the Finger Lakes and he does music stuff. And the funny thing is, is I just bought like eight different music things so we could collab and we can do some uh, like metal because me and him are very big, very big musicians, and we both love metal. And we both love making music. So, and he was telling me though everything you need to do and i'm just like are you kidding me and that that was the one thing he's like you got to find your local uh newspaper and your and another weekly and a, and what, a monthly or something like that yeah and it doesn't even have to be local but there's a there's a list on the small business association i think on new york state gov site um they've got a list of all of the newspapers and how much it costs you know if you're in the capital region we are the cheapest to publish in so actually a lot of people I know you didn't ask about LLC advice here, but people who uh, create LLCs in the city or Long Island, they'll get PO boxes up in the capital region because it's cheaper to post up here. Smart. But people like you and I, we have it cheap because we're upstate. So, you know, it's good. Exactly. Exactly. Plus, I'd like to promote it in my local paper, even though nobody reads those sections anyway. Is it weird that I do? I also really like the crossword in my little local paper with all the coupons and so I, there wow. are people who read it. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I was kind of hoping I could make my own uh, thing of like, you know, you had to make it certain wording. Yeah. And I was, I was kind of hoping like the stupid podcast is creating an LLC. So if you want to fight me in law, go ahead. I got a bunch <laughs> of people that'll take you down. Thanks. But, but unfortunately, can... that's not how it works. Unfortunately, New York State has regulations. <laughs> oh, well. So um, have you been on any previous hikes lately? Yeah, so I've, I've actually been lucky because lo this last week I went on two hikes. They were just little little baby hikes, but great. So I was up in the Adirondacks and hiked um, 
oh my gosh, now I want to say pilot knob and that's not right. Flume knob. Hiked Flume knob on Saturday. And then I also had an elopement, which is what we'll talk about partially on Thursday at um, Catterskill Falls. So I was lucky. I got, I got two hikes this week. Nice. Oh man, I'm jealous. Jessica, my wife, we just did Panther on Sunday. She just finished her fourth requirement of the the winter list. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, she's she's not a big winter fan, as I've said before, um, but she handled this one like a boss. And, you know, we were the previous. So this was their third attempt. The first time it was really cold, and I don't think she was layered up as good as she should have been. So once she gets cold, she gets really really crabby and stuff like that and um we went to giant ledge and i'm just like listen let's let's bail out right now i don't want you to complete this the second hike was absolutely horrendous we arrive at the trailhead we're starting to get stuff on and all of a sudden it starts pouring rain and this this is winter time so there's at least a foot and a half of snow on the trail so we start and we get to like the register box and it has all that massive slush that's just going everywhere and our feet are cold within like five minutes. And I'm just like, nope, I'm not going to deal with this crap. I mean, that, I mean, being me with the, all the, the hikes I, I, I've done, I probably should have like put the, the plastic bags over our feet and, you know, kept our feet protective. But I just didn't think about that at the time. So we went back down and we enjoyed Margaretville. So uh, we just went around and shopped there. But she did her winter hike. We had to use spikes going down giant ledge and then we took them off in the call which is really weird usually the call is really bad yeah yeah with all that then, like shade there yeah and then three quarters of the way up we had to put the spikes back on for panther and uh we basically we almost had the top to ourselves we we had a couple people there but we didn't enjoy it that much because there was a lot of wind and it was cold but i mean it sounds awesome despite the wind and the cold it sounds like the perfect thing for jessica to do because it wasn't snowy right it's just a little bit of ice and of course by the time this podcast come out comes out the conditions are going to be totally different so exactly so you know it's just and the funny thing is is i've seen reports from like yesterday when it was raining here in oneana or yeah well no it was actually very sunny and then it started to rain there was snow up in the catskill so i'm just like you know, and I should have taken advantage of that I should have went hiking yesterday, but uh, I just I slept in and I cleaned the house and I did all my business stuff for the podcast. So, you know what? That's just as worthwhile. And actually, I really like that you just talked about it being three hikes for for Jessica to get up Panther. Number one, it's never a bad idea to turn around if it's just not right. If you're not feeling it, if your brain's not in it, it's better to get turned around. And also giant ledge still a win you know turning around a giant ledge for that first one that's still (laughs) awesome so we we sounded like we we look like tourists you know and going the giant ledge and stuff and it was it was funny it was just i i understand you know i understand bailing and just like i i didn't want her she wasn't in the right mood i didn't want her to suffer and i'm just like listen this is not worth it there's other times the mountain's still going to be there so there's not going to be another meteor strike for 380 million years so (laughs) exactly might as well go down but now you guys got it done and and she she's got her fourth you said that's awesome yep she's got 12 more left to finish the whole 3500 so awesome now it's it's the brutal beatdowns of big indian fur and wittenberg and cornell lone and rocky so she's got 
but Wittenberg is so nice. I've told her, I've told her this. I, I've told her, I'm like, Wittenberg is a brutal, but it's, it's a fun climb and it's one you will never forget. Yeah. So we'll have to make it a special day. Um, yeah. So, uh, Catskill news, once again, Molly and I are support volunteering just, uh, I'll post links. I know that I just got an email. I got to check that out from my trail supervisor, something about learning how to be a, uh, what they call a sawyer. So to be a chainsaw certified person for cutting wood and stuff like that in the back country. So it's, it's actually pretty freaking neat. I am thinking about it, but then they said, you have to bring your own chainsaw. So that means I got to buy my own chainsaw that I'll never use in my three quarter of an acre house. So. <laughs> I don't think so, but there's that, uh, you know, see if there's any openings available for the New York, New Jersey trail conference volunteering Catskill 3,500. We're probably going to be posting uh trailhead stewards in a little bit. So that's exciting. Um, yeah. Volunteer. Also, there's a, a, a got to look this up again, the Platte Hill mountain bike race. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. No. So I seriously uh, just heard of this. Well, I, I think I've heard of it before, but I didn't know it was still going on. And have you ever driven driven, or even walked up and down the Platical, uh like road? I have. Yeah. And I know they do a like a foot race many years ago, but I'm, now I'm looking it up. I'm like, ooh, Black Hill Mountain Bike. I want to look this up. It's, in, it's, it's the, the craziness is, is how... You know, I know I'm pretty sure I heard my friend saying this was back in the 90s when they started doing this and it was only like five or six people and and it was brutal. He said it was like the, the most craziest crap they've ever dealt with on the East Coast that everybody like like three quarters of the people that did it would bail because it was just so steep and so treacherous that they're just like, man, this is horrible. Yeah, since 1993. I'm looking, um, there's pictures online, and I'm like, this looks intense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that looks like, but yeah. Um, I don't know that. Maybe that's not the one. Yeah, that's Platte Hill Mountain. Uh, that's a whole different thing. I'm, I'm thinking, of, maybe maybe I'm not thinking of the right one, but maybe Platte Hill Mountain is the ski resort. So I might have had it wrong, but I know that you're right. There's a foot race located on the Platte Hill Road. So this might be the Platte Hill Mountain bike race over on the Platte Hill Ski Center. So my bad of getting that wrong. I got to research a little bit more. People can also Google. Yes, exactly. I'll post the link. Just just look at the links. All right, Molly. So how about a little Catskill Mountain history? Oh, it's my favorite part. I think that was the first thing I ever wrote to you over uh, Instagram was that the history is my favorite favorite thing about this uh this podcast i i I remember that trust me um i love the history it is crazy stuff and as you know you and i have been talking uh i have been fixated on the reservoirs and the water supply going to new york city for the past like month and a half i i must have purchased in the past probably month about six books about this and one of them is an old old book that i found Luckily, I got from a friend of mine that's from 1936. Ooh, wow. That's awesome. Originally published 1936, and it's from the New York Board of Water Supply. That's awesome. That's really amazing. 
Exactly. And I was just like, this, it's just fascinating what they did up there. The, the amount of engineering that they had in the 1900s, early 1900s, is just absolutely fascinating. And to read about this and to learn about this, it just blows my mind of what they did back then would take us a quarter of what we would do now because we'd have all machines doing it. And, you know, they had, I read somewhere uh, in a book that there was over 4,000 people working on, on this reservoir and the Catskill Aqueduct. And only 300 people died. That's what they said. Only 300 people. I'm like, that's a only lot of 300 people. Okay. You're like, you're ramping up. Now I really have to hear where we're about to go, what we're learning today. I mean, that's, 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 I don't think that that has to do with tonight, but that's what was where I heard of just in general, only 300 people. That's what they said in the book. Only 300 people. I'm like, that's, I know that's, that's a lot of people. (laughs) Exactly. I was just like, I wouldn't say only, you know, 4,000 people. I mean, 300 is a small number, but still it's 300 people. But for back then when you're thinking about it and you're like, Ooh, a lot of people died early. Yes. This was a dangerous job, but it was seriously dangerous. So this is from the New York board of water supply. It was written in 1917. So just remember when I'm, when I'm reading this, a lot of this is past tense and they'll say uh, as of created or by then, you know, And that's 1917. So, and I've done some math on some certain uh, areas that we're going to talk about, which is pretty, pretty crazy. So this is, of course, about the great Catskill Aqueduct. Um, One of the great advantages of the new supply of water from the Catskill Mountains is that of the reservoirs in the mountains are at such elevations that the water can flow by gravity from the city to be delivered with its limits to the street mains as such pressures that it will rise to heights necessary for service in practically all parts of the city and in buildings of all reasonable heights without any pumping at all. The pumping rendered unnecessary by this high gravity pressure of the Catskill water has cost the city and the property owners large sum of money. Of course, this cost cannot be exactly slated, but it has been roughly estimated for recent years at $2 million per year. Not only is this expense saved, but tens of thousands of tons of coal, which was back in 1917, we're talking about they're still burning coal. So that's what I thought um, is required each year can be conserved for other purposes and mechanics needed and pumping plants liberated for employment elsewhere. Such small amounts of power are needed for operating aqueduct equipment and lighting some of the structures is either generated by the fall of water drawn from the reservoir into the aqueduct as at the Ashokan Reservoir or obtained from the Electric Power Company Exchange for the use of portions of the aqueduct lands for part of the aqueduct south of Putnam County. A gravity system requiring a few men for its operation and the large majority of them unskilled is but little affected by the rise of wages in comparison with works employing large numbers of mechanics. The aqueduct is capable of delivering 550 million gallons of water per day in New York City. Now remember, this was two thousand, or this was nineteen seventeen. So five hundred fifty yeah. million gallons water per day in nineteen seventeen. It's probably either doubled or tripled by then because the population in nineteen seventeen was. I'm I'm thinking in in the high millions where we have close to. I don't know fifty million or seventy million. I'm pretty sure. So, that was crazy. So then I see. 
the cost of what this operation was. Uh, so for surveys, real estate, construction, engineering, and general supervision, and all other items except interest on the bonds, the total cost of the completed Catskill system was about $177 million in 2000, era 1917. I don't know why I keep saying that. And $22 million were for the Schoharie Reservoir. In October 1917, $139 million has been spent. Today, that would have cost $4 billion to make. Well, so I, that's insane. I, I had to, I had to like do all that cost comparison of inflation plus 1917 and 2023. I was just like $4 billion because, yeah, exactly. And probably, you know, just to, to be serious, is that the manpower would have been cut by like, you know, 75% because we would all have machines now. And I don't know if the engine, the engineering in this was, was absolutely insane in the Catskill Aqueduct. I'll have to post pictures one time. It's tough to post pictures because the books have full pages. So you'd have to zoom in with everything. Instagram and Facebook doesn't let you zoom in well, but seeing some of the stuff that they created back in 1917 that is still going to this day is absolutely insane. So also there's comparisons as well. The magnitude of New York's new waterworks and of the problem supplying the metropolis with water will be more comprehensible with a few comparisons. To state the growth in population and bare figures suggests but little. Instead of maybe written each year, the New York adds people enough to make an Atlanta, a Hartford, a Memphis, or a New Haven. Every three years, a Baltimore, a Buffalo, a Cincinnati, or San Francisco, and in four years, a Baltimore or a Pittsburgh are enough to populate the state of Rhode Island. So from the beginning of the official steps toward the additional water supply to the completion of the first installment of the Catskill Mountain System, the increase in New York's population is more than present of the population of Chicago, or as much of the combined populations of Philadelphia and Detroit. Ashokan Reservoir can hold nearly as much water as 10 reservoirs of the Croton System and the Cancisco Reservoir combined, which are two reservoirs located up in Orange County that first started out as the reservoirs for New York City, and they realized that they couldn't be uh, used as good as the Ashokan and stuff like that. They needed more, definitely, because that's a growing population. Uh, all the Catskill Reservoirs together hold nearly twice as much as 10 Croton Reservoirs, their contents would fill the North River from Battery to Hastings. Also, cool thing that I found, once again, Molly, I went deep into this stuff. It was crazy. So the depth of what it was with the Catskill Aqueduct, the cut and cover aqueduct and the tunnels are more big than enough to, for railroad trains to pass through them with ease. Catskill Aqueduct is twice as long as two Croton Aqueducts put end to end. The water which the Catskill Aqueduct can carry would be waist deep between buildings in Fifth Avenue's fashionable shopping districts, if flowing at a comfortable walking speed, of course. Um, the water is also used by New York City each day, weighs about eight times as much as the population. Freaking insane. Um, the two deepest shafts of the city tunnel of the Catskill Aqueduct, one corner at Clinton and South Streets and the other at the corner of Delancey and Elder Streets, Manhattan, are each as deep as the tower of the Woolworth Building is high. I don't know what the Woolworth Building is, but I'll have to figure that out. Um, I should have probably included that. <laughs> if yeah, the Eiffel, that's okay. Right? I'm, 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 we're not city people. 
Maybe some people <laughs> in the city will understand that, but yeah, they'll know. <laughs> um, if the Eiffel Tower could could be stood within its foundations of the Hudson River Tunnel, its top would not appear above the river surface. Or if the Woodworth Building, I don't know, Woolworth Buildings would stood atop of the other, the lower one having its foundations, the Hudson River Tunnel. The top of the upper one would just reach the level of which the water flows away to the mountain at the east bank of the Hudson after rising in the shafts from the tunnel beneath the river. Now, I was checking that out. The Catskill Aqueduct flows 1,000 feet below the Hudson River and then back up to the Croton Dam. Once again, 1917. I mean, that's the thing that's insane about it. I think about, sorry to interrupt, but I'm just thinking 1917, that's before major um, construction equipment. I think tractors were maybe around, but I bet there was still like a lot of horse, like actual horse powered, yep. uh, human powered. You know, I'm, I'm not sure what kind of equipment. Some was obviously around because they talk about the coal, yep. but 1917, 106 years ago. Yeah. Exactly. And just to think, you know, when did the car, first car come out? 1908, I'm thinking? Sure. <laughs> um, so the, the first vehicles came out in 1908. Uh, this is just a guess, so please don't don't criticize me. I'm looking it up. I'm not 1886, Carl's Bend, but like, um, yeah, 1901, the Oldsmobile was coming out. So 1901. This is barely when they were, were, were trusting the cars, let alone evs this year uh, this time they were just like ah oh, screw evs so they were probably like screw cars let's keep with the horses um having the the amazing engineering of making that aqueduct that big to hold a train easily to go through to go underneath the hudson river is just blows my mind yeah the engineering involved with that like i mean that's just why i mean it just makes me incredibly admirable of the people involved with that exactly and you know what what stinks is you know this 2023 trying to get a hold of someone who is involved in that of course is almost near impossible it's it's definitely near impossible because they're over 100 years old easily but you know I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of people who've written about it and for some reason it's it they don't they don't want to like chat about it i don't understand i don't know i think it's interesting i think it's 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 absolutely phenomenal to have like a passion about this stuff because I gotta admit, you know, what happened with the reservoirs is just blows my mind of what they they did up here. Of course, you know, it's it's really really sucks with the towns and stuff like that, but the engineering of 1917, wow. It's I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, you can see how the I mean, living up here, right? The the um the upsetness that people from upstate have with people in the city when we talk about tax dollars, it goes back to that history of people in these towns saying, oh, we're doing this for the people in the city. But at the same time, you're absolutely right. Like here are these huge feats. There was also all this economic activity. So yes, people got displaced. That's terrible. Whole towns died. That's terrible. But also on a um, huge influence for a very large portion of the population just oh there's fresh water fresh clean water that wasn't possible to get yep. in the city beforehand i mean so with everything in life good bad it but it is it is insane and fascinating and 
as <laughs> same with you. I am fascinated by the ingenuity behind it all. Yeah, I I agree. And I just keep reading more and more. And you know what sucks is I go to bed at like nine o'clock at night. It takes me a while to sleep. And then I got to wake up at 345 in the morning. But when I freaking read those books, I'm just sitting there reading, reading. I'm like, oh, God, what's going to happen next? It sucks. <laughs> and also you wonder what is the next of tomorrow, right? What is it that we're doing right now that is in a hundred years, people are going to be like looking back and being like, oh my God, that podcast. They oh, were talking yeah, right. about this. <laughs> like, well, it's it's just, once again, 1917, that thing's still going strong. The Cascalacqua yeah. has barely been enhanced and it's only been tidied up a little bit. So like you said, 106 years. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. So, all right. So enough with Katsuko Mountain history. Jesus, went on a little bit too much about that. So let's get to the guest of the night, Molly from Outdoor Chronicles Photography. Let's go. Molly is, of course, as you can see, a professional photographer. Uh, I'm going to ask her tonight for like three or four photos of her best stuff so I can I can post them throughout the week and see what you guys uh, can see that I see is just absolutely phenomenal. So Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I, I can't wait to hear of your story. It's just like, I've always wondered when people post these photos or I see these photos on Instagram, how the hell did this happen? Like, well, and I the think the answer is there's so many different ways for it to happen, but I am happy to give an insight into how I work, which I like to think is a little bit different. So Excellent. So, uh, Molly, how about you, you give us a little background about yourself? Cool. So uh, I'm going to stick strictly to my hiking and photography background, because as with most people these days, we've got lots of different things where we come from. Um, but for me, when it comes to nature and the outdoors, it's just always where I felt safe. I grew up, um, I alluded to this earlier, My while my mother's American, my father's German, and my grandparents were in Austria. So um, we did a lot of moving back and forth over the years. You know, we'd spend a couple of years over there, a couple of years, years over here. And when we were there, I was in the Alps. So starting at, you know, I don't know, from the moment I walked to, I don't know at what age you normally walk, but I, as soon as I'm sure it was safe for me to walk, I was in the mountains, um, you know, with my family. And later on, if I was in the States, you know, nature was where I escaped to when I was, you know, a moody teenager. <laughs> As I'm sure we all were once upon a time. And, um, you know, and, and so I just grew up in the mountains. Um, so over the years, you know, I went to college back and forth, uh, always found myself back. So now here I'm settled here where I can be in between the Catskills and the Adirondacks, hike whenever I want. When it comes to photography, um, it's actually not my first, uh, my first career. So I spent 20 years in theater uh, stage manager, running other organizations, and uh, photography was something I did on the side. You know, starting in 2010, I was a sports photographer for a local university when I lived in Philadelphia, you know, make some extra cash on the side, you know, and in 2015, I photographed my first elopement, but this was all before Outdoor Chronicles. This was just me Molly Matilda Floyd Hennighausen photography, you know, wow. I, I wasn't even an LLC. I was just a sole proprietor. So speaking of LLCs earlier, yeah. so um, so when I got married in 2019, um, me and my husband, we 
we're doing things that we thought we were supposed to do. Doing the research on, oh, the venue, oh, the dress, oh, the, the, the catering. And we're like, this is no fun. Right. This is no fun whatsoever. And we were just, I, I would say he was more excited than I was. I was absolutely miserable. I was like, I hate this. <laughs> I don't like being the center of attention. It sounds like so much money to spend on a day that like, I don't want, right? I wanted to be married, but you know, we've gotten engaged on the mountains. We spend every weekend in the mountains and it just felt so unnatural to be trapped in a room with like artificial lighting with a bunch of people around us. And that's kind of where Outdoor Chronicles photography was born from, was me realizing I'm miserable doing this. There must be other people who feel the same way. And so when I started my business, it was, uh, I think I filed the LLC 2019, could have been early 2020, I'm not sure. I was like, I'm rebranding everything I've ever done in photography. And I was like, I am going, I'm going to create a place for people to feel safe. Safety is a big thing in what they want. I wanted to empower couples to do what they wanted to do. I wanted to say, but when you get engaged, let's pause before you start planning a wedding, take a second and think about what you actually want. Like, don't just start going down the checklist. Yep. So whether that means getting married in the mountains or not, like I want couples to just stop and say, hey, what do I want? What's true to us? So, um, but where Outdoor Chronicles Photography went is um, creating safe places for people to exchange their vows. It's very simple. Going a bit further, of course, my niche is taking people on adventures. I'm a licensed hiking guide. I'm a wilderness first responder. I'm going to make sure that you've got your gear, that you are both physically safe and emotionally safe to to say your vows. Um, but that's that's how, so that's now, oh God, four years ago of doing adventure elopements and mostly just adventure elopements. Sometimes some weddings, but with an adventurous, maybe a day before, day after. Wow. Unbelievable. So what, what came first? Do you, photography? And then did you do like wilderness first responder and then like uh, an officiant for getting married or was it like all? So it photography has been since 2010. So that was obviously the longest. I became an officiant in 2020 because most people who, you know, joined me on elopements, like, again, they also don't want people staring at them. Some yep. people bring a guest or two, but for most people, it's just the two of them. And it's most authentic that their I believe it's your vows that make you married. It's not somebody deciding that like, so, so I became an officiant because I was like, here's how to make it as simple as possible for the couples that I work with, who tend to be people who just want to get outside and get married. Nice. Wow. And have spectacularly beautiful photos of it. Cause you can get married outside and not have photos, but I provide some awesome photos. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I agree with you um, with being simple with your marriage. Uh, my wife and I, we, you know, we were, were going crazy over that stuff. And then we're like, you know what? Screw this. Let's, you know, have it at a local park, pay 50 bucks. Whoever wants to come can come. You know, all our friends could be there. We don't need to hire too many people. My, my cousin cooked. Everybody brought their own dish. 
it was a fantastic time. We had a, a the weirdest day. So not to, to break off from, from the spotlight of you, but no, I want to hear it. <laughs> so when we got married the night before my friend and I slept outside of our, our marriage spot and during like, it was like three o'clock all of a sudden we had everything set up. I don't know why we set up the day before, but all I hear is just stuff starting to fly over on the tables, so the cups, the tables and stuff like that. So I get out and there's like massive wind gust and I'm just like, Oh man, this, this is not fun. So uh, like I was up since three o'clock in the morning and I guess my nephew who was like, like 13, 14 at the time, Jessica comes rolling in with a coffee and everything. And he's just like, yeah, he's really pissed off. He's, he's been having to clean this up for hours. <laughs> so all of a sudden we're sitting there and everybody, you know, this was 2012. So everybody has one of the big, huge Android smartphones. Everybody starts getting dings on their phones and it says winter warning or weather warning, tornado washing effect. <laughs> we're, we're all like sweet. And, you know, I'm sitting there and we see the clouds in the back and I'm waiting for Jessica to come in. I'm like, any freaking time now you can show up and we can get this over with. And, you know, during the, the time it just starts wind wind starts coming in and then all of a sudden we get married uh and we're getting ready to eat and all of a sudden rain comes in and we're in these airport bunkers and it comes sideways everything gets blown over and like it's just like we're just all laughing and we're just like you got to be freaking kidding me just hey rain's good luck on a wedding day although when it gets into danger we'll talk about that later but uh exactly but- But I do think it's, I think it's great that you did do things your own way. I mean, like, that's the part that I miss, right? I said all the things that made me miserable about planning a wedding, we ended up doing our own elopement, right? In the Alps, in the mountains, you know, and and did it our way. And we ended up having, before we went and eloped ourselves, we had all our friends come over for a picnic in our backyard, you know, and... Uh, but I, I fully believe, like you did, like I did, like so many people out there can just, like, take a step and figure out what you actually want from your wedding day experience. Cause it's different than your marriage. Right. Exactly. And you know what? Another thing we were thinking of, uh, we wanted to spend money to uh, go on our, uh, what's it called? Uh, honeymoon. Honeymoon. Yeah. We wanted to spend some big money going on our honeymoon instead of our wedding one day compared to seven days. <laughs> like, come on. hundred <laughs> percent. So. Or I have a lot of couples where they get married as part of their honeymoon. So they'll be like, yeah, we're doing a 10 day thing and we're getting married in the middle of it. So, yeah, right. But I agree. There's how you use your money should reflect your values on your wedding day. Exactly. So Molly, with you being the photographer you are, um, where have you, you hiked the Catskills, Adirondacks, Whites, like name some of your favorite places in each area. Ooh. Okay, so uh, <laughs> this is fun. Okay, so Catskills, I'll start there because this is a Catskills podcast. My favorite hike in the Catskills, hands down, is doing the um, Black Dome, Blackhead, Thomas Cole as a traverse. Nice. Granted, I've never done it as a loop, but as a traverse, it is one of my favorites because um, you get a little bit of every type of scenery. But especially ending up there, I mean, it's just it's just a fun hike, right? You get the scrambles, you get the like soft incline, you get the trees, you get the rocky outcropping. I mean, it's just fun. I agree. For the Adirondacks, see, like, I don't like having to choose favorites, but if I'm going <laughs> to, 
Um, ooh, Adirondacks. Uh, I mean, everybody says right now Algonquin. I think that's fair. For me, if I'm going high peaks, I'm saying Colden is one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, absolutely gorgeous. Um, but I actually prefer a lot of the 29ers. The the there's the for, list of the 46, and then the 29ers are those that are shorter, and they're less crowded. And um, I mean, I could I could list off five or six, but I think that whole list is just fantastic. That like that that's like includes like Rooster Comb and Mount Van Hooberger and stuff. Yeah, speaking of Rooster Comb, that is up there. <laughs> that is a favorite. I'm I really can't choose favorite favorites, but Rooster Comb I hiked a couple months ago in the fall and was just lovely. Um, if you're pretty new to hiking, then I recommend Mount Van Ho. They've got a really lovely new trail. I think it's called the East Trail. It's very gradual. It's like three miles, um, and you just come up to this ledge. So. For all skill levels, there's a bunch of stuff. You know, Cobble Lookout, if you're like super, super new, I go Cobble Lookout, Mount Van Ho, hike a couple in between on the 29ers and end up at Colden, and then you'll have hiked my favorites in the Adirondacks. Nice, <laughs> so, nice. White Mountains. See, I'm just going through the list like you told me to. Uh, White Mountains, Musilaki. Musilaki nice. is amazing. Uh, as I mentioned already, I love winter hiking. So Musilaki for me was my first winter hike in the uh, White Mountains. Gosh, I want to say 2015. Wow. I want to say, um, and it just like, so there might be some nostalgia there uh, for that being my first white, but it's just lovely. Pierce is great. And then of course, doing the uh, Franconia Ridge is magical. So you guys are like, so many people are like kicking my ass in the 46ers and the 48ers, man. I'm kind of jealous. It's, it's interesting because I have a friend that I hike with and she's like, we're going to get your 46 done. And I'm like, but why? <laughs> like, I have so many things to hike. So I'm right? not I'm not really a list hiker. And I will. I am known to hike the same thing over and over again. But um, but I'm going to say, Stash, for my favorite hikes, this is where it goes to where I grew up. It's the Austrian Alps. They're my favorites. There's a mountain that I've probably... I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, there's a mountain I've hiked probably over 100 times. And it's the one that me and my husband got married on. Because um, you can also take a car to the top so we his parents could easily come up. But um, not a car car. Uh, what's it called? A train car. <laughs> like a... Yeah. That type of thing. But... um. But yeah, I've hiked that mountain over a hundred times and it is by far my favorite mountain in the world. You'll have to list that on your photography page. Post that yeah. picture tomorrow. Will do. Will do. Please, please. Um, so outdoor chronicles photography, you you basically like talked about how that came about, but you know, what pursued you to get into that passion a little bit more, like further and further. You know, being a photographer, an amateur photographer, I started off with astrophotography and you know, I'm just like, oh man. I got to keep going and keep going. And all of a sudden, you know, I lost interest, <laughs> but you seem to be gaining more and more in interest because your photos keep getting better and better. So how did that come about? Well, first I've got to say astral photography. You decided to jump into the deep end, didn't you? It was horrible. I, <laughs> it was, yeah, let me, let me go out in the middle of nowhere and test 200 times of what's the best setting. Yeah. And um, you're like, how long should the shutter speed be eight seconds versus 10 seconds? Oh, with, 12 seconds there's a little bit of a blur yep iso at 5200 or iso at 2400 you know yeah 
Yeah, Your so you did stop. not do anything on easy mode, I see. Nope. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, it you know, photography was a means to an end for a long time. It was it was something I was good at, right? So when I talk about starting in sports photography, you know, that was obviously those skill are skills that I use now, right? The same skills I used photographing people playing field hockey are what I use with people skiing down a mountain. We've got the speed, we've got the unpredictability, you know, you've got to, you've got to stay on it. Right. But when it outdoor chronicles specifically, it turned from something I was good at. That was a means to an end to something I was really passionate about was, was wanting to give couples this experience. And For me, a lot of that also had to do with paying attention to the details. So so what I mean by that, sports photography, you're capturing a moment that looks really cool that will be on somebody's little player card or be in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. With elopement photography, what I'm doing is telling a story. So I tell people always in their intro emails when I do a consultation, yeah, sure. We're going to get some shots that you're going to hang on your wall and you're going to print them up three feet by two feet and it's going to be gorgeous. But my ultimate goal is for you to look through your album and relive your day. Right. And so for me, that means, yeah, I'm paying attention to the couple and photographing them, but I'm also really making sure like those winter berries that were passing, I've got those, or, you know, you, you saw that witch's butter that we passed on the trail you didn't know what that was, but I knew what witch's butter is because it's my favorite fungi ever. <laughs> and then I get to tell you about it and then my photograph is going to be in your album. So so I would say like Outdoor Chronicles, that's where it comes from, right? Chronicles is telling that story. We happen to be outdoors because me and you and the people I'm photographing, we feel best outside. And I want to be very clear. It's not about expertise outside. It's not about you being the fastest hiker and being a trail runner and being the baddest ass outdoor person ever was, right? I have a lot of couples who love being outside and and it goes back to what you were saying at the very beginning of this podcast, learning how to be outside. They love to be outside, but maybe they've never actually been in the backcountry, but they know they want to be in the backcountry. So it's also bringing out them. That's part of their story on their wedding day. They're doing something new, right? Together. I don't know if that made sense or was concise enough. 100% made sense capturing the the moments and like you said telling the story and having that that thought I'd be like oh you know like this is when we first started up it was cloudy and then you know you're taking pictures of like you said the berries and the fungi and then all of a sudden at the top they get to a beautiful open summit that that has sunshine and stuff like that you know the smiles just keep getting bigger and bigger and yeah and and it is it's it's getting the hike because that's part of it right and you know sometimes we're hiking 11 13 miles round trip sometimes or, or more right i've had a couple yeah. backpacking elopements and sometimes it's three to five miles right and, and you know and that's where the hiking guide portion of what i do that that ethical responsibility too is you know when you start working with me i get to know you very well because you're going to have to tell me your health concerns for example you're yeah. telling me your health concerns. You're telling me what you want from this most intimate experience that you're having. So you really get to know each other really well. But that's what makes it such a wonderful experience is because I don't want anything wrong to happen on your wedding day. Right. Yeah. Like I want you to have the best day ever. And again, tell that story. So. Yeah. 
that's that's you know i kind of wish i knew about this earlier and have that story <laughs> that well here. there wasn't really a thing i think that's or at least that's what i didn't see there was really this thing that existed which is now it exists now there's a lot more people um doing this type of work which is awesome i will say i i safety is a very important thing so i hope everybody who does do this work is safe both for them the photographer but also for their couples yeah um let's stop talking about that to give away your secrets all right yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so with you you've got hiking stories galore where's the craziest place you have hiked for uh like photographs not just photographs but like your adventure of moldman and stuff like that one of the most memorable probably Okay, so we're going to, because crazy is all relative, right? Oh, yeah, crazy, yeah. So I would say, the, I like I like rephrasing it as most memorable. I had an all-day elopement where they really wanted to get out into, like, have nobody around. So a lot of what I do is I scout out these locations, right? We don't always go to the popular because you want some quiet. So I found them this beautiful, stunning waterfall swimming hole, just, I don't know, I want to say six, seven miles into the backcountry in the Adirondacks. Nice. Um, and so we started our day off super early, hiked out there. They got ready there. They went swimming. Um, that was awesome. Later on, paddled across a lake and did a hike. You know, other people, like I said, I've I've done backpacking elopements in the White Mountains. So some people are like, oh my gosh, that's crazy to get up at 1.30 in the morning and go yeah. hiking. And so, yeah, but memorable, I would say, say that one with the, the waterfall, just because it, it wasn't about this stunning view. It was, it was so meaningful for them to have water and privacy. Like it was very like, emotional <laughs> i don't yeah. know if that's the right word you know yeah. um and they were just so into each other and we spent hours there and it's not a photo it's not it doesn't feel like a photo shoot but they were just so into each other and i'm just documenting what happens in front of yeah. me and also giving time for them to have their own moments so wow so like um i i'm curious have you ever had like an elopement at rainbow falls in the, in the adirondacks no, I have not. And I'll tell you exactly why. why too. Wow. So I really pride myself on giving people unique experiences. People mm. see Rainbow Falls, they see Indian Head, and they say, oh, I want that. Now, yep. if they really want that, or they see Whiteface, if they really want that, we'll talk about why. But I also might not be the photographer for them. Interesting. And I mean that because is that experience because they saw it on Instagram? You know, yep. it, That's or is that. there a location that, or is it that that location really speaks? If it really speaks to them and they're like, hey, we grew up in this area. We've been hiking to Rainbow Falls for ages. We've been going to Indian Head for ages. We've been going to Whiteface for ages. You know, if there's a meaning, totally open to photographing that. But if it's just because you want those Instagram photos, I bet you I'm probably going to say no, because I want to work with the couples who want to say this is the type of scenery I feel good in. This is the type of experience I want to have. And then I go and find that for them and present it. And I've wow. had a couple, they say, listen, I know I want to be at this point, but I want the actual place for our vows to be a surprise. And that's been really fun. And I've had that happen twice. And it's been super wow. fun. Also terrifying because you're like, oh my gosh, have I chosen a good enough place? You right. know? 
Um, but in most cases, they were like, wow, stunning, amazing. And, uh, and you know, you sit down, you change, you have a picnic, you know? So, so yeah. Wow. That is, is actually phenomenal. So once again, you're explaining that you want to have the experience for these people and not just the photos. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's more experience than it is. I mean, the photos happen. Yep. The photos happen no matter what. They're going to be amazing. But I want people's experience when they get married to just be, can I curse, right? Goddamn oh. special. <laughs> that's that's not even, this is explicit. So you can say whatever the hell you want. I, t- I tell, <laughs> you know, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you're getting yourself into this podcast and you should by now, 65 episodes, know what you're getting yourself into. So, wow, that's incredible. That, that once again, brings a big smile to my face because instead of just, you know, like, like you said, for the Instagram or something like that, it's for the, the whole experience, the, the yeah. capturing, not just the one moment, but the very many moments. Exactly. Again, it goes back to telling that story. Right. So have you had any crazy couples? Again, I'll go like, what is crazy to some people is not crazy. Other, my favorite couples are, I, I, the couple that I photographed on Thursday, their elopement wasn't particularly crazy in sort of way, but like they had just gotten back from backpacking in Nepal, you know? So like, (laughs) you guys seem great. So, so I would say like, you know, crazy couples, I have couples that ski, I have couples that hike. I think other people think people like you and I are crazy. And that's why we would get along with these couples that work with me, right? We're all crazy if we're outdoors hiking and right. sweating on purpose. So now anybody that like, or just like, like have some weird uh, request for photos, like, um, hmm. I don't know, like, like some daring photos, maybe like you were just like, Oh, okay. No, no, we're not going to do that crap. No. I mean, I, I, uh, your experience is your experience. So what happens is up to you. I do very little posing. So what you see is what you get. And I will say, if you don't want your elopement to feel like a photo shoot, make your elopement super long. If it feels like a photo shoot, it's because we're trying to cram everything into one or two hours versus if you have an eight to 10 hour time together, you're going to get those stunning, like, instagram worthy <laughs> shots yeah yeah just right because, and they won't feel like a photo shoot um but i have had couples who you know have made out pretty intensively and i know when to step <laughs> away and <laughs> give a little privacy um and you're you're sitting there holding the, the camera behind you <laughs> you know what i know when to step away I think that's a mat you know we're not gonna be like i'm not gonna take five million photos but if it you know if what your experience is, is genuine, I'm there to capture it. Genuine is a beautiful word. I, I, yeah. I agree with that. You know, um, like I'm trying to think of uh, like some other thoughts of like craziest couples, like any couples that like have hiked there and back in just their, their, their gown and their, their suit. Yeah. Definitely. But as, as you just mentioned, craziest couple, what actually just came to me. So yes, there is hiking and that'll depend on the hike. Um, So I've got a whole guide that I work with. And again, 
up and in the mountains. So it'll depend on what their clothes are like. I will say masculine folks have actually more trouble with their clothes than people wearing dresses because dress pants, oh, they like to split. And I'm oh. sure you know this. And <laughs> yeah. shoes that you wear have zero tread on them. So yeah. um, so I will say people who, who um, are wearing more masculine clothes, like they're the ones that I'm actually coaching more into what to wear a dress if it's strapless you don't want to wear it but if your hike is let's say two miles three miles conditions are pretty easy it's a pretty steady then and it's not too hot you can hike in it sometimes what i'll recommend is let's hike up in your normal clothes change up top and hike down in your clothes because that can be a little bit easier um of course if it's a longer a longer adventure then I recommend, hey, wear what's comfortable. Definitely wear the same hiking boots you always wear. We don't want any blisters. And um, we make time at top, you know, at the top, we make time to sit, to hang everything up, to 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 just like get less red before yeah. putting everything on. And, and you can still have a first look if you want, but it's equally as beautiful if you're getting ready together. But um I did want to say craziest couples. You made me think about one of my very first couples in 2020 who told me they were hikers. And this was before I was officially a licensed guide. And I also had a lot to learn. We learned from the things that we didn't ask before, right? So I trusted them when they told me their experience and they, what they wanted. You know, they told me five, seven miles. Oh, we're runners. Oh, we're great at this. We're great at that. It came to the day and it turned out they'd never actually been in the mountains. Mm. And so when I think about craziest couples, I actually think of them now because their expectations were so out of line with their experience. So I spent a lot of time just trying to adapt for them. Yeah. Kind of like coaching them, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because as you know, running, running on flat concrete is much different than hiking up a mountain oh, yeah I, I love when when people like i i know it sounds a little, little snobby but i love when people are like that like oh yeah i could hike this mountain you take them up a mountain they're just like jesus what is going on here i'm like exactly shut up yep it's and then you <laughs> add on the weight on your back right yep. you're carrying weight and then they're, they're oh. that's the that's the funny thing is they're like why am i carrying so much well I mean, you're running for 33 minutes, but you're hiking for four hours. So yeah. you do the math. So awesome. That's funny. So like, have you ever had any crazy uh, like conditions to where like, you know, I don't know if you've ever hiked in the, in the winter. Have somebody ever hiked in the winter? Yeah. Ooh, this question Wicked. I'm super excited about because I actually have concrete answers for you. <laughs> um, so a big thing you get when you book with me is time. It's outdoor elopements. You're booking me anywhere from four months to a year in advance. We don't know what the weather is going to be like on that preferred date. So what I do as a, it, it's just a necessity is I keep the days around your elopement open, right? They're there for you if we need to move. Now we're not going to move if it's just like a little bit of rain and it's still safe, but like, Hey, guess what? Mudslides happen. So a couple of years ago, we had a big storm and there are mudslides. So I had to move, you know, a, a location of the elopement and the date of the elopement because of that. Obviously, with the hurricanes, I mean, uh, 
just this fall. I've had a, I've had a, actually a lot of moves this fall. I would say 25 to 50% of my elopements, 50 might be a bit high, but 25 to 50 have some sort of thing that changes, whether it's the exact location, time of day, or actually moving to a different day due to trail conditions or weather. So, so yeah, November, we had that big hurricane that came through and I had a Catskills elopement. So rather than doing our evening centric elopement, right, we just moved to 6am. So, you know, mostly beat the rain. We had an hour of pouring rain, but at that point, you know, like it's embrace it, embrace the rain. Exactly. Catch those moments of where everybody's like just acting crazy because it's happening. Exactly. But yeah, the conditions can get crazy. And that's again, where I think about, you know, safety in the Catskills, safety in the Adirondack, safety in the White Mountains. If working with somebody who knows that and who's out in the mountains all the time and knows how things have changed is so important. I just finished up my avalanche safety course and and that's more of an issue each year because of our warming, right? The way that our ice goes. So, So I think conditions will continue to get crazier. I like to move elopements when possible to uh, have the safest conditions possible. Because again, safety comes first. Correct. Yeah, definitely. Um, Any times where you've had to, this is preferably in the middle of like a hike where you've been like this, we can't do this. This is just, this is either unsafe or it's just the conditions are just going to make this unmemorable. I mean, it's going to make it memorable, but. Yeah, I've been lucky that that hasn't happened. I always pre-hike the hike um, the day before. So I've even pre-hiked it the morning of in one case. Uh, This was back when I put elopements a little bit closer together. But I always hike it the day before. So I know, like I said, I have had to change locations based on things. But um, never in the middle. Luckily, crossing fingers that I never do have to do that. But I I will say I'm I'm a big nerd on weather. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hope that there's no sudden weather that happens that I didn't plan for. Yeah, I agree that. And that's been also a good guide and, and preparedness is knowing the weather and knowing your situation and be like, you know, maybe we shouldn't try it this day because there could be like two to three inches of rain. And that might mean horrible stuff conditions. Well, that's, that's the thing too. I mean, there are times where it's okay for me to pre-hike it the week before, let's say, let's say the weather is going to be the same and it's going to be dry and there's nothing going to be changing. Okay. I can hike it the week before and be pretty certain it's going to be okay on the day of the elopement. But again, with things being so variable, I usually go the day or day before, or sometimes, like I said, if it's a super short one, the morning of. Um, That's crazy. um, Unbelievable. Fun Fun for me. So um, what's your, I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit before, but what was your most adventurable, like most memorable elopement? Um, I had a multi-day elopement. I've had a couple multi-day elopements, but I would have to say the one that I just mentioned where the, it was two brides. And while we had chosen part one of their hiking adventure, they had one day that was eight hours. And then the next day they were all involving family to celebrate their elopement. But on their actual elopement day, we had eight hours, two locations. And so we'd chosen the one and I chose a a longer hike. So they thought the first part was kind of the like peak of the experience. Um, But they're also the ones that said, hey, we want you to surprise us with where we're going to do our vows. We don't want to know. And that was just 
it to have that level of trust from my clients was, uh, I don't take it lightly and it was beautiful. And then whenever I do do a two day elopement, I try to edit some sneak peeks for the people who come by the next day, you know, mm-hmm. and, and being able to see them sharing those photos with their family and documenting that part of the experience too, was just, I, it was just such a heartwarming thing to be like, yes, I'm, I'm here and I'm here to provide you with this gift. So. Nice. Wow. It's beautiful. It's you you seem to be very genuine and all about the uh the time and adventure and the moments. That's it's very rare. Yeah, and well, and with those two people, right? That's an example of two people who live in the city who love hiking but only get out a couple times a year, right? So again, finding the right hike for them that would be epic, but also not so strenuous that they wouldn't have fun, right? It's and also, crazy. as you know, when we're hiking it's going to get dark so it's also guiding them through. it was their first time hiking in the dark and oh, while nice. it was a a pretty safe path right and I, of course you know and i had all the light for them and the headlamps and everything they were like oh my god this is so cool we're hiking <laughs> in the dark right they were just so jazzed over this new experience that's wicked i love it so any like uh close calls while out on the trail doing this stuff or not even on the trail not with my couples, but with uh, other people. So uh, this is where I'm grateful for for my training, for that wilderness first responder training, um, and for that guiding training. Is unfortunately, with more and more people being in the backcountry, prepared or not, more accidents happen. So there have been twice, um, twice I've had to leave people from leave my couples in order to help other people on the trail so once was this last thursday uh you know we were at catterskill falls which by the way for everybody who's listening the trail looks like it's fantastic but once you get close to those falls it's super icy bring your micro spikes and there were people just with no tread no no equipment who had somehow found themselves on the other side of the falls with no way to get back. And they told me they had kind of butt slid over there. So, so I did have to leave my couple for 15, 20 minutes to help get them out and get them safe. And then this, this fall, there was another situation where I was actually, it was an intimate wedding. So it was the couple plus five members of their family were hiking and we were in the Catskills and we came across a family where the, you know, the sun had slipped and fallen, had gotten a huge gash and they didn't have a first aid kit, you know, and I, I carry everything on my, my pack for elopements, probably 40, 50 pounds. So yeah, yeah. between camera gear and safety gear, I mean, I'm bringing that tarp with me, you know, and, yeah. um, and luckily the child was okay, but, you know, spent some time there with the toothbrush, cleaning up the gash and wrapping it and making sure they were okay. So hopefully nothing will ever happen with my couples, but we also do a lot of work to try and get ahead of that. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to run into anything. And I feel like it's our ethical responsibility as people who know the mountains to help, to help people. Correct. Wow. That's uh, helping others. (laughs) That's a very good luck. I got to admit, knock on wood. I think this is wood. (laughs) But yeah, awesome. That's. But you do, you do search and rescue. So I'm sure that you also feel that responsibility when you're just out normal for fun. Oh yeah, I've I I carry as much as I can to help as much as I can. 
um, this previous, you know, hike my wife and I had, I'm like, I go to my, my wife, Jessica, I'm like, lift my pack. And she's like, I don't want to. I'm just like, just lift it. She's like, it's like, you know, 20 times the weight of hers. And she's just like, what do you got in there? I'm like, anything and everything that is needed for safety. And I'm just like, yeah. you, you name it, it's in there. Splint, you know, wrap, gauze pads, uh, tarp, uh, emergency blanket. I have everything, extra water, extra spikes. I had, she, I, I gave her three, two pairs of spikes and I had three pairs of spikes just in case somebody ran into that problem. I've just started carrying extra spikes in my pack because of, I just put, I just clip them to the outside. And I think this was actually one of your guests that you had on a couple months ago said that they hit the trail and just fill a whole bag with like bottled water at some of the more popular trails. And so that's something that I want to start doing in the summer actually is having just like, I have extra water, but extra like water bottles. Yeah. Yeah, They're plastic, but because that is something we see and just be like, hey, I have an extra, just kindness, right? Without yep. a lecture to just be like, here you go. <laughs> you yeah, know? just make sure you leave no trace, bring it home with you and recycle it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a great call. Um, so where is your favorite place in the Catskills? Can I say Thomas Cole, Blackheaded Black Dome again? <laughs> Hell yeah, you can. I actually maintain the trail from um, Thomas Cole to Camel's Hump. Oh, do you? That's yeah. thank you for doing that. I appreciate it's sh- that. It's the shittiest trail to maintain. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, there's so many good places, but um, that, that's that's a that's a piece. That's a piece that you're doing. Yeah, hiking two and a half miles in to start your your trail maintenance, and then that area is just full of prickers and big, massive ferns and stuff. So. It's fun, but I got to, I got to group. That is a hell of a, hell of a hike up through there. So what does that look like to maintain the, like, what is it that you do? Do you find a lot of trash or is it mostly clearing the shrubbery and, you know? Oh, always clearing. Are you, are you out there with a handsaw and doing all that stuff? Machete is what I have. Basically a massive machete that it looks like I, I should be Mongolian or something like that. And maybe I should do that sometime as dressing them a Mongolian and go up and just start hacking stuff when people are up there. They'd be like, what the hell? Um, be very confused. Very, very little trash. Very, very, very little trash. The only thing that I usually run into is, I don't know if you remember that spot between Thomas Cole the, and uh, Camel's Hump. It's the nice, beautiful call. It is. It's lovely. Off, off in the distance is usually a fire ring that I have to, you know, dismantle and try to break up but other than that people love that area it's 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 a tough area and i get a lot i have to go at least four times probably within the fall to to winter spring months to to clear it out because it's just insane it's got to be the worst in the catskills well thank you so much for doing that i i really appreciate it i'm just glad people enjoy it so don't thank me thank uh i think for people for still enjoying it and tell me when it's shitty because it gets shitty yeah. But good. That's that's an awesome spot. You know, you get Black Dome, the views on, on both sides go Camp Steel, and then you can go to the one side that looks over to the west. Um, yeah, and that sunset is insane from up there. <laughs> yeah, it is. Definitely. And then you, when you're over in Black Dome, you can catch the sunrise because you're looking east. Yep. So awesome. Very good call. I agree. Yeah. So. We're winding down on everything, uh, Molly. What uh, what about some post-hike bruising bites? What do you got for me? 
Ooh, I just tried the Garden Cafe in Catskill. Ooh. Have you been there before yet? You know, to be honest, I haven't even been to the town of Catskill yet. Okay, so I hadn't either. <laughs> this is so naive. I was just, because like, you know, you drive around Catskill to get to a lot of places. You don't necessarily drive through it. So I was so naive. I didn't think there was anything in the town of Catskill because I thought I was like, oh yeah, I sometimes drive past some houses on the way to like overlook, you know, mm -hmm. or something like that. And it turns out it's a really cute little town. Um, everybody's going to laugh at me listening to this for not recognizing that. But I just went to the Garden Cafe and it was delicious. It was so good. Really, I mean, really well, like, priced as well. Just simple, simple eats. Yeah. Uh, really enjoyed it. I've heard nothing but good things about it. I, I, you know, my friend lives in the in Catskill, and I'm on, like, a forum for the, Cats, the Catskill area. Um, and they seem like a, a smaller Kingston. Exactly. And it was just, and I mean, it was very artsy, which we already knew. But, like, yeah, just driving through there, there was a lot more than I thought yeah so, very naive i look forward to strolling the streets one day but you know whenever i stroll the streets in the catskills or the adirondacks i'm covered in mud and maybe slightly embarrassed no reason to be slightly embarrassed and covered in mud trust me that's nothing it's it's better to be be that and smelly because they're just like ah, oh, they're gonna spend some money here eating some good food <laughs> it's true we spend good money after a hike Food and alcohol. That's what I do. Yep. Excellent. Well, excellent. Thank you. So, uh, Molly, thank you for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Your stories were absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the, the tidbits that you gave me because uh, this has been so fun. It has been a phenomenal time. And once again, thank you for supporting this small show that I, I, I just do for fun. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you to the monthly supporters. Thank you for the people who have donated some coffees. Really appreciate it. Thank you to Molly and everybody who is donating to the show. I really appreciate it. Um, and thank you, everybody who's listening. It really it keeps me going. Trust me. See everybody, like people listening and saying, hey, I love the show. It, it just it keeps me going. So if you need a sticker, let me know. Molly, I sent you a sticker, right? You did. You sent me a couple, and I don't have my water bottle right now, but they're right there. That's okay. Just as long as I sent you one. So, uh, Molly, thank you for joining me tonight, and uh, I hope you have a good night. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. I just want to thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and throw down a smooth review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast platform that you use. You can also check daily updates of the podcast, hikes, hiking memes, and local news on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the official website of the show. Remember this, you just keep on living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Wicked, 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 wicked.